In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, one eternal, ever-living, holy, uncreated, mighty, omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who sent your only begotten Son into the world to redeem the earth upon which your kingdom will one day stand and for the people that you came to redeem to place upon that earth in your new kingdom. And Father in heaven, right now we're pilgrims and strangers to the world that we live in because we know that it is a darkness, a darkness that we wish one day to be replaced by the light of your great kingdom. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We need Thee. O oh, merciful God, we need Thee. Come quickly. Rescue Your people and save us. Guide us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you today, and I'd like to see how many Bibles are here. How many Bibles in God's house? To, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, I am so glad I didn't see one cell phone. Praise God. All Bibles. If the power grid goes down, you still got a Bible. That's great. Well, <clears throat> we want to welcome this congregation today, but we also want to welcome a world of growing numbers of people across the country who join with us to listen to the choir. And if they have time, they listen to the sermon, but they want to hear the choir. So choir, you are being heard in a lot of homes. And for the benefit of all those folks that live away from here that are tuned in, we want you to know that Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I also. So the church is in session. Wherever two or three are in union, with Christ our Savior. That's a wonderful thought. We're going to turn in our Bibles today to the prophet Ezekiel. And that's not because we have a new child that will be coming into the home of the Ezekiel of our congregation. It's because the sermon was planned before the announcement was made. So there, you got that. We're going to open up to the book of Ezekiel today. We are in chapter number 14, and 14's a good number. It's two times seven. That's double spiritual perfection. So here we are in Ezekiel 14. Now this, the prophet Ezekiel is a wonderful book. It's kind of a mysterious book, but it's a wonderful book. It's got a good message in it all the way through. Remember that Ezekiel, like Daniel, had been carried away into captivity. Uh, he was in Babylon. He had grown, been born and grew up as a child in his native homeland of Judea. But he was carried captive between the first and the second captivity of the kingdom of Judah between 607 uh, uh, and 606, 607 and 588 B.C. And that, in that window, he... He was exiled and carried away. So he spent his life mostly in exile from his homeland. He died away from his homeland. He prophesied out of the land. And he, unlike the other prophets like Isaiah and let's say some of the other earlier prophets like Joel, Ezekiel prophesied to the whole house of Israel, everybody that was in the house of Israel. Isaiah prophesied to the people of Judah. Of course, he gave prophecies that were far-reaching to everyone, and the same is true with all the rest of them, but Ezekiel directed his prophecy to the whole house of Israel. They were all scattered in dispersion, and just a, a part of them remained in the land when he prophesied in his homeland of Judea. Now, what was God's purpose for Ezekiel the prophet? 
Well, God wanted Ezekiel to remind all the younger generation growing up in Babylon as captives to know why they were there. Why did you get carried away from your homeland and get deposited in a foreign country? What was the reason for that? Our Father in Heaven wants every generation to know what occurred in the generation before them or generations before them. We got to know our history, folks. And Ezekiel was anointed of God to remind his generation, you're in Babylon, you're in captivity because of the sin of your ancestors. Their sin brought you to Babylon. And that's a reminder to all of us here today that the way we live our lives will impact the generations that follow us. Your children will model their lives with the life that you live and leave for them. There may be exceptions to that rule, but it's a generally a well-observed rule that happens. But Ezekiel had a bigger promise, a bigger uh, mission than just to remind the generation of the sins that preceded them by other generations that brought them to captivity. He also was ordained and commissioned to prophesy to the generation of the future hope and promise that their captivity would not last forever. He wanted to give them hope, hope for the future, that there would be a kingdom, that there would be a restoration of the people, that they would return from all the nations where they had been scattered and captive and sent into slavery, that one day God would gather all those people, the ones that passed away, He'd gather them in resurrection power. The ones that were living, He would translate and give glorified bodies. All Israelites were to be regathered, and Ezekiel really lays that out in in a way that probably is more carefully structured than almost any other prophet. So it's well worthy of our time. But this morning, we're just going to look at a little inset into the book of Ezekiel that might have relevance for the hour and the day that we're living in. So that's why we're going to turn to Ezekiel chapter 14. If you'll notice, when we open up to chapter 14, just Drop your eyes down. Thank you, boys and girls. Boys and girls, thank you. We're in Ezekiel 14, then verse 1. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me, and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. And they have put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be required of at all by them? Good question. Therefore, speak unto them. This is what God wanted Ezekiel to tell them. Thus saith the Lord God. Look at that word, Lord God. That's Adonai Jehovah. Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up an idol in his heart and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity. Idols are iniquity. They are a stumbling block to whoever has idols. And come, then cometh the prophet, I the Lord will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols. That I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. Verse number six is a verse. There could be a billboard verse in America today on every major highway. Thus saith unto the house of Israel, all Israel, thus saith the Lord God, Adonai Jehovah, repent and turn yourselves from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. 
They are children of God. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. When we come into this house, the one thing that we dare not have or be guilty of are idols. What, uh, what is an idol? By definition, what is an idol? What in our lives could be bigger, larger, more important than God himself? They are the idols that win not only the love of our heart, the focus of our eyes or minds, but our attention, our time, our wealth. What are the idols? Idolatry is a violation of commandment number one. Say it with me. Everybody, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So whatever is God in your life is where your time, focus, energy, and affection is. So an idol by definition, this is not my definition, it's a definition that came out of the Bill Gothard ministry, and it's a good one from my point of view. I pray that it will be from yours too. An idol is any person or thing, person or thing, that people look for and focus upon for that which only God can give you. So an idol is a replacement for something that only God himself can give you. Contentment, satisfaction, meaning in life, purpose in life. What holds your affection? When you wake up in the, in the morning, what is the driving passion of your life? Of your life? Well, Ezekiel wanted to deal with the idols. Now, as he moves through this lesson on idolatry, and remember, church, idolatry is the number one sin of Israel throughout their history. Idolatry. Idolatry is standing between a believer and what God wants him to be. So, let's drop over now to verse number 12, where Ezekiel really gets down to business. And this is where I want us to be here today. So I want to thank everyone that will look at Ezekiel chapter number 14, and we'll begin with number 12. And now I need you to help me read. Most of you will be re better readers than I do, so I'm I'm going to start reading, and please join me. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it, Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Stop. So Ezekiel is now warning the people. Incidentally, the title of this lesson is The Four Sore Judgments of God. I waited a moment to tell you the title because God uses four severe judgments upon a wicked body of Israelite people. Now, as we run through these four sore judgments, you ponder America today and where we are. Think about it carefully, but even more importantly, consider where 
you as an individual, a family, where we as a collective body called a church fit, where are we in the midst of Ezekiel's four sore judgments? Where do we stand? Help me. Help me to figure this out. Because I don't have the full answer by any means. So, Ezekiel in verse number 13 and number 14, he says that famine is coming. Famine, famine, famine. How many of you know that famine is already making its appearance in parts of the world? We now have the fewest number of beef cattle on the ground in America since 1960. And with the drought of 2023, it will not be better. How many places that manufacture food, particularly organic food, have suffered massive fires in the last year and a half. Burning down places that gather food together. Write the word famine down as one of the four sore judgments. But let's move on. Let's go down to verse 15 and 16. If I cause noisome beasts. Whoa. Think of the flash mobs. Flash mobs right now in America. Stealing, pildering, pilfering, plundering, openly stealing. Think of the noisome beast. That word beast is reminiscent of a newscaster who said, these flash mobs are like animals. I heard that on newscast. Let your imagination go ahead. Won't hurt if you use your imagination. I know I know most of you know what I'm talking about, but I'm keeping it veiled. But you don't have to, because you know what, what it's talking about here. You know. So that is, that is sword of judgment number two. Noisome beast. What? could be worse. Famine, no food, or the noisome beasts pounding at your door. What could be worse? Well, let's read on. And it says here, though, I'm in verse 16, though these three men were in it, as I liver, as I deliver, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. There's another warning. Here comes Noah. Here comes Daniel. And here comes that third guy, Job. Job is the eldest. He's older than Daniel, but not older than Noah. Aren't you glad we have our Noah? That's why we know it's going to rain. We have a Noah. We know it's not going to be a deluge, but we need the rain, Noah. Now, Though these three men were alive, 
when judgment number two falls, they would deliver no one, even their own family, but their own righteousness. That's a little bit of a warning, isn't it? Don't plan to ride the coattails of anybody. Don't depend on grabbing hold of somebody's coattails. So let's go to verse 17. Read with me now. We're going to read um, 17 and 18 together. Here we go. Or if I bring a sword upon the land and say, Sword, go through the land so that I cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. So now we have the famine, noisome beast, and what's the third one? The sword. Now I'm not sure exactly how to describe that. I, I just know that there's a sword is symbolic of people that want to kill you with whatever kind of a sword they have might be an AR-15, or it might be a real sword, or it might be something even worse than I just explained. I do know this. The hordes now coming into this country are mostly young men between the age of 20 and 35 or a little more. They're all mostly men. Not all, but mostly men. Who are these people? How many are here? Well, there's enough come in under Joe Biden to equal the population of Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana. That's how big the horde has grown. Four sore judgments. Famine, noisome beast, the sword, or could the sword be something else? Could the sword, I, well, I'll let, let you think about that. What about the sword of a totalitarian Marxist government? A government that has been weaponized to kill its own people. Think about it. So we move down church to verse 18. Remind ourselves that no, that it wouldn't matter if Noah, Daniel, and Job were alive at that moment. They deliver only them, themselves. Now that's a little bit of a warning. We'll talk about that in a minute. So let's go to verse 19, and we'll pick up the last judgment. And I'm, boy, I don't want to have any more than the next one. Verse 19 together. Or if I send a pestilence, what's the synonym for pestilence? What's another word? It's called plague. Plague. Pandemic plague. If I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job are in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, Adonai Jehovah, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Church, may God give me the grace to say this. Do you know there is nothing greater and more important to this congregation than that this congregation purpose to live in moral purity before God? Do you see there that Noah, Daniel, and Job were declared to be righteous people? Now you know that we will never be saved by our righteousness, for we have none. 
All of our righteousness, Isaiah 64, are but as filthy rags before a holy God. But if we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, we ought to live as moral people according to the Word of God by His standard. That's imperative, church. When we are in trouble as a body and we cry out for God's help, His help may very well rest on the moral standing of this congregation. So this is a call from the page of Ezekiel. It's a call for us all to heed the words of 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves whether you be in Christ. Because if we fool ourselves and live in deception of our state, you know what we're called in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, somebody say it, Save me from having to say it. What is the definition of someone who practices the idea of they, uh, the fact that they have been redeemed by the blood, but they live a different life? They're called a reprobate. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. A reprobate. Hypocrite. So our moral standing, church, oh my goodness, God help us to be a moral people. That is why that cell phone and that computer might be the most two dangerous objects among Israelites today. Need I say any more? Now, church, before I leave this idea of righteousness behind, do you remember there was a man in the Bible, see if you can guess who he is. He entered into a dialogue with God because he knew that God was going to destroy with an atomic bomb a whole city of people. God was going to drop a fiery bomb of brimstone and fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And a man lived in that city named Lot. He happened to be the, the nephew of a man named Abraham. And though Lot had pitched his tent in Sodom, tore the tent down, obviously built a house, because he was comfortable in Sodom, sadly, but Abraham loved him. And I ask you today, how many people have family members that you love? Think about it, please help me. You must love your family members that you know need God's help. Pray for them. Witness to them. Witness to your loved ones. Pray for them. We live in perilous days. We don't have time to be on vacation from God. So, Abraham wanted to... It's, it's an amazing thing to read Genesis 19. What standing did Abraham have to be able to ask God how many righteous people have to be left in Sodom so that it will not be destroyed. And Abraham starts out with one number and he keeps coming down. He knows, he knows that Lot May be, his whole future may be dependent upon how, how he, he, he dialogues with God. 
And finally, Abraham says, if you find ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you hold back the judgment? Now, we all know that there were not ten people righteous in Sodom. How many people made it out of Sodom? Less than ten. Only Lot and two daughters. The married daughters laughed at him. The two single daughters, he didn't give them an opportunity to drug them with him. Or should I say the angels? The angels moved him along. He brought his wife, but she couldn't forget her microwave or whatever else it might have been. And she turned around to look back at her, her lovely place. She became a pillar of salt. They claim that if you go around that Dead Sea, you'll, today you can see the remnants of those salt pillars. <clears throat> now I'm just mentioning this church because we live in a time in history when our loved ones may stand in peril. Hear me, church. I'm calling about the, the people that you love, that you know are in darkness, separated from the love of God and a walk with Jesus Christ. And many people don't have the courage to tell their loved ones they just don't have the courage because they don't want to be rebuffed, mocked, or even laughed at. But better to be laughed at, better to be mocked, than to never have warned the ones you love. So that's a message from Ezekiel with regard to Noah, Daniel, and Job that our moral standing might be far, far, so more important than any of us could ever imagine. And that's why repentance, repentance becomes so important. And that's why Ezekiel said, Thus saith, the, thus say, therefore say unto the house of Israel, verse 6, Ezekiel 14, thus saith the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from your idols. Turn away your faces from all your abominations. You know what an abomination is in the Hebrew? It's an, something that's utterly disgusting. Utterly disgusting. So here we have now the fourth judgment. The plague or the pestilence. We had a taste, a little precursor to what might be the real plague in the form of COVID-19. None of us should be unaware of the fact, church, that since March of 2020, no one in this world has lived in the same kind of world before March 2020. The world that was before the 12th of March is a world that passed away. And we have been, since March 13, 2020, in this country, we have been upside down and we're still upside down. And today as we gather in this sanctuary, the world is blowing apart. The world is blowing apart. Explosive explosions in the Middle East. 
people dying in the Ukraine, the human suffering underway today while we're in this tranquil little corner of America, God be praised. The world is literally on fire, blowing up. And a lot of it is man-made. The wickedness of this present world rises to a level unknown and unheard of. So I'm asking the question, would God dare use the four sword judgments to bring America to its knees? Oh, that hurts to ask that question. But it may very well happen because of the way that this country has broken its covenant with God. We're a nation that is broken. We have broken our, the covenant with God we have broken and repudiated and scorned His laws. We have worshipped, loved, and served other gods. We have left and mocked. I'm talking about the wicked of the wicked of this nation. They have mocked God. God is being mocked in every corner of America today. We have trashed the Bible. You know, I don't know how many of you people were alive in 1960. How many were alive? Raise your hand. In 1960. How many were born after 1960? Okay, far more than were born before. In 1960, in that, in that year, there were plenty of Americans who believed that we were already sinking into sin. I will, I will promise you that. But in 1960, there was no abortion. We were 90% white. The church is still were filled, all of the rural churches in Vernon County were populated with Christian people that, that went to services every week. No abortion. There was no no-fault divorce. You would not just waltz into the courthouse and get a divorce in 1960. No. Birth control contraceptives were banned in 1960. Neither married nor single people could buy contraceptives to prevent the birth of children. How far have we gone in this country? In 1960, it wasn't as if there were not homosexuals in the, in the land. They were, but they were hiding in their closets, afraid to come out because of the social stigma. Didn't want to be labeled as a queer, and they're still queer in my book. A horrendous departure from God's moral law, sodomy homosexuality in any form. The idea of same-sex marriage in 1960 was unthinkable. They'd have thought you were out of your mind to even ask such a question. 1960. How far have we come? How far have we moved from the moral standard of even 1960 to 2023. In 1960, if you had said that America would be 
giving an eight-year-old girl a mastectomy, mastectomy or a hysterectomy without even notifying her parents in a public school, they would have cringed in horror at such a thought. Today we're doing that in America. Among the wicked, the wicked, the wicked. Or that we would give chemicals to a little boy to sterilize him for life, to turn him into a lifelong eunuch. The question I'm raising here, church, will God visit the four sore judgments upon this land? Will God judge the wicked of the land? Will he spare the righteous? Will he spare the righteous? Do you know the moral standing of this congregation may be the answer to that question? So I'm asking you today to write today down on your calendar. Today is the 14th day of October we are in the 14th chapter of Ezekiel and God is appealing and I'll show you in a minute from this same chapter. God is appealing for the remnant to be a worthy people for his love and safety and protection. God is looking for a moral people. And God will have nothing less than a moral people. And so, I want, to, I want to invite you to look down to verse 21. Now, verse 21 is really, I almost hesitate to read it. Because it's saying here that in ancient Israel, in the land of Judah... God actually brought all four, all four judgments together simultaneously falling upon Judah. Let's read it. Trust me, verse 21. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more, how much more judgment, devastation, when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem. The sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. It's one thing to have famine. It's another thing to have just the noisome beast to face. Or just to simply be looking at the sword, that would be bad enough. Or just to have a plague many times worse than COVID-19. But what if they're all together, compounded together? The famine, the noisome beast, the sword, and the plague. They all come simultaneously. Do you know in that day, do you know in that day, church, the Bible tells us something. It says, I'm going to give you two of the most important verses in the Bible right now to take home with you today. I'm going to first give you the verses and then I'll tell you where they are. Now listen carefully. This is God's prescription for this congregation today. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble 
And I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. That's a promise. And that's found in Psalm 50, verses 14 and 50. God says, if you want me to answer in the day of trouble, in the day of trouble, if the trouble that I've outlined in the four sore judgments does not qualify for the day of trouble, then deliver me, I don't know what would qualify. Famine, noisome beast, the sword, and the pestilence. And God said, be a thankful people. Offer unto me thanksgiving. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer unto me thanksgiving. Pay thy vows. Attention, please. I opened the little prayer book. The little blue prayer book. Blue is the color of heaven. It's symbolic of law. When God created the universe, He is a moral God and He created a moral universe. And we enter into vows with Jehovah the Almighty. Many of you, I hope all of you, were baptized. When you were baptized, vows were made. Do you know the first vow of the baptismal vows of the church here in Missouri is the acknowledgement we acknowledge that there is an adversary that old serpent called the devil and Satan and it is our duty as a Christian to resist him. The first vow of baptism is to come against Satan and put him under your feet. Kick him in the rear. Do not let him dominate your life and trap you. Do not let your own sin nature trap you. Do not let the world around you trap you. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh. John 2, 1 John 2. So, we need to look at our baptismal vows. What did we promise God to do? Did we promise to live by His commandments? What were the vows that we made? The Bible says that God wants us to keep our vows. If we've made a vow, let's keep it. Let's honor it. Let's walk in the shadow of Noah, of Job, and of Daniel. What are the other vows that we may have taken? What are some other vows that we may have taken? Can I read some other vows? I'll read some other vows. What about marital vows? How many remember taking marital vows if you are married? Let me read what vows a man takes. And then be brave enough to ask yourself, are you keeping the vows you made before an altar? Everyone around here that's been married has been married before an altar. And that altar is a representation of God and of righteousness. And the man promises, I take thee, this beautiful woman, to be my wedded wife, 
to hold and to have from this day forward for better or for worse. When you get married, you don't run away from a vow. When two people get married, they're shackled. And they have the option of either figuring out how to fix things, because they can't run away and live in people that run away only run into the next relationship with even more trouble. They never get away from their troubles. For richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. Men are called to love and to cherish their wife. When you live without a wife, you know what that means. When you've had a wife and then don't have one. Now, I had one for 51 years. Now I'm coming into the year number 15 without one. And I had one for 21 years from the birth to the time I got married. So I have a good feeling for what, what it means to cherish a good wife. I think I know what that means. That means if you have a wife, cherish that woman and take care of her. Make her a happy woman. Love that woman. Hold her in the highest of esteem. She's the best treasure you have on this earth. Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he will, have no, he will have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Proverbs 31. What does a woman promise the husband? What are the vows of the wife? I take thee, Mr. Handsome, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse. Remember, wives, you're shackled to your husband. You can't, you can't run away. Don't, 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 don't run away. No. You got to fix the problem. You can't run. When two people get together, the wife is betting that she married a husband that's less flawed than she is. The man is betting that the woman he's getting married to is less flawed than he is. And the truth of the matter is they're both in poor repair. And both of them are flawed. And both of them will manifest their own weaknesses and flaws soon enough. Probably on the first day of their honeymoon. Maybe they'll get through the honeymoon before the flaws appear. Fortunate if they do. So the woman says, for better, for worse. Boy, I thought I married a kind guy. He's not kind to me. The, for richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health, to cherish and obey Till death us do part. Vows. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows. That's a good prescription to be a moral people. That's a good start, I think, personally. So today, church, Let's not stop. We're, we're, we're very close to the stopping point. 
but we have just enough time to finish the important instruction of a prophet named Ezekiel. So if you would be so kind to go back to Ezekiel 14, let's finish. In Ezekiel 14, we come to verse 22. And I'm going to read a verse that I think has the greatest hope in this entire chapter. So I want you to join with me. I know you're all good readers, so boys and girls, if you know how to read, join your mom and daddy. Here we go, verse 22, Ezekiel 14. Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant. Say that again. Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant. There can be a remnant, will be, shall be a remnant left. Left from the famine, the noisome beast, the sword, and the pestilence. Therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you and ye shall see their way and their doings, and ye shall be comforted. Isn't that a lovely word? Comforted. Concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem, or I meant, I meant to say brought upon America. No, I hope not. Even concerning all that I have brought upon it. And let's finish it out together. And they shall comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And ye shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, saith the Lord God. So God could say to all of us today, I would not bring the four sore judgments upon America without Good cause. Without good cause. Does God have justification for judging America? What do you think? Are we so, have we become so immoral as a nation that God would send the four, four, Four sore judgments of Ezekiel upon us. If that be true, and it looks like we already have the signs of food shortages. Already signs of food shortages. Do we have the noisome beast? Oh, do we have the noisome beast. I can't even get gasoline at a pump in some places without hearing the music of the noisome beast. I pretend I don't hear it. And that's not easy. The sword over one thousand Christian patriots have been arrested by the people wielding the sword in America today. What were they arrested for? Being in a freedom march. Notwithstanding the thugs that were brought in to instigate the invasion into the capital withstanding the planted provocateurs of our own government that were planted in the audience. And so to end this lesson, church, God says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and you will glorify me because you will know 
that only God could deliver you from four sore judgments. May God help us all. God bless us all. Inspire us all to be a penitent people, humble, humility is the word, be humble, be humble, be humble, let's all stand. Oh my.